It's so good to see every one of you here this morning. Thank you for braving the snow, as Pastor Troy already said. So great to have you together. And uh, man, it's just it's great to see a room f- uh, full like this when there's snow outside. Come on, y'all. We're Canadian. You know, we don't play games, right? We win medals in snow. That's, what, that's all that happens in snow. We just win stuff in snow. Doesn't slow us down. It's just a time to start winning. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, we're in a message series called Culture Shock out of the book of Daniel. And uh, this is a series about how we can love really well and stand really strong in our culture, really a culture that some would say is far from God. We've said that this is a very important series because oftentimes, especially in the church, we've seen those two things, standing really strong and loving really well as, as opposed to one another or maybe exclusive to one another. So we've thought, you know, it's either or, either I'm going to stand really strong and I'm going to have a great faith and no one's really going to like me, but I'm going to get to heaven. Or, on the other hand, I'm going to love really well. And, you know, I might have to water down scripture a little bit so that people can know that God loves them, but ultimately I'm going to love really well. And the book of Daniel reveals to us that it's not either or, that you can actually do both. What we see in this account in the middle of the Bible is these four Hebrew teenage boys that stand strong and love so well in a culture that really wants to take God out of their lives, that the nation of Babylon is actually changed. And so what we've been saying throughout this series is that you can have great faith and great influence at the same time. And today we're going to press into one of the two most uh, well-known stories and accounts from this book of Daniel. Actually, one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, and it's about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Shadshak and Benny. If you've been around church, you know these names really well. But if you're new to church and you've never heard these names, this is going to be a great message for you because God put this right into the center of his word for you so that you could know no matter what you're going through today, no matter how hot the fire gets in your life, that God is willing, in fact, desiring to be with you right in the midst of that. Man, it's a good story. It's a good book. And really, here's the context again, that these four young Hebrew boys, they've been taken into exile into the nation of Babylon, this nation that wants to take God out of their lives. They've been marched across a couple of deserts. They're now a thousand miles away from home. They've they've seen their nation lose a war. They are in the midst of what you might want to call a pretty big life crisis. And yet what we find and what we found over the last couple of weeks is that they begin to experience God's favor and they get promoted in the land of Babylon. And I just love this idea of getting promoted and experiencing God's favor in the midst of exile, right? Because oftentimes what we tend to think is that when things start to go a little sideways in my life, when things start to go bad, I get passed over for a promotion, or things get really crazy in some sort of family relationship, or there's some sort of obstacle in my way, what we begin to think is, well, God's not really for me. We begin to actually blame God. We're like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop going to church, and God, I'm just gonna stop really pressing into God because things aren't really going well in my life. And what we see from these four young men is actually a different response, and what we find out is that God is looking for a people that have the character to be unwavering in a crisis. Because favor is not about where you are, and favor is not about what you're going through. Favor is about who you are. Come on, I'm gonna preach before you're ready this morning. I just, I start. Uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going too soft off this. Let's, let me tell a little bit of a story, though. This week, you know, we talk about life crisis that these guys are going through. 
This week we had a little bit of crisis in, in our home, in the Johnson home. I mean, not like living in exile crisis, but, you know, just a little life chaos. What happened was our, our three-year-old, she got sick first. And he just had that, like, whiny, crazy, I'm looking at some parents right now, and I'm like, I know you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the whiny, crazy, like, Daddy, my hair is heavy, sick. You know what I mean? Where just everything all of a sudden starts to be a problem. Like, I'm on fire, Daddy. I don't, like, just everything is, the pro- is a problem. And then our, our one-year-old then got sick, and then uh, they, they gave it to me, and then Rach didn't have it, glory to God, but, like, when it hit me, I said, baby, I gotta, I gotta sleep in tomorrow. And, and you might even hear my voice. I still have it right now. If I fall over in the middle of the message this morning, just, like, just go back into worship. Just worship. <laughs> so I'm feeling sick, and I say to Rachel, I'm like, babe, I need you to take, I need you to take the girls tomorrow morning. I need to sleep in because I need to kick this thing. And she's a great wife. And so she's like, okay, that's no problem. I can do that. And, and I'm just like, just keep the girls quiet in the morning. I need some sleep. And they could have been as, I don't know if they were loud. I was, I was out of it. I was so sick. I'm just like, I, they could have been in the room yelling for all I know, but I'm just sleeping. I slept right through it. Then I wake up and I look at the clock and I'm like, that was a good sleeping, but you know what would be good is a little bit more sleep. And so I, I pick up my phone and I, and I call Rachel from my pillow and I say to her, um, how's it going, babe? And she says, oh, it's going good. And I'm thinking, yes, I can sleep some more. And I, I just got to throw this in here. Um, young men in the room, there's, there's some young men in the room, either you've, you're kind of newlywed or one, you know, you desire maybe to one day get married, and I just got, this is for you, you just need to really dial in for this right now. You should always believe your wife, unless <laughs> she says, I'm good. Because uh, ladies, you have been known from time to time, on occasion, to send a little bit of a mixed message. And so I see some of you are laughing, and you're laughing because you know this is true. And I see some of you that are angry. And, and you're just angry because you know this is true. And so Rach says, I'm good. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, babe, okay, that's great. I'm going to go back to sleep. And right as soon as those words come out of my mouth, she's like, I'm good, and that I'll be good after I have this heart attack good. I was like, whoa, I'm going to stand up right now. I better. I was, I was, I was all, all of a sudden, I was just completely awake and totally fine. And I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I want to be lying down right now, but it's important that I stand up. How many know it's the same in your life? There's some aspect and area of your life right now where standing up is not your easiest option. You know, you're on a job and your boss wants you to start cutting some ethical corners. Standing up isn't your easiest option. Or maybe it's not a boss that's asking you to cut ethical corners. You are the boss and you feel like cutting some ethical corners. And you're like, it's just a small little area. And it's not your easiest option to stand up right now. Or maybe you're in a relationship, a dating relationship. And the person you're dating wants that relationship to get physical faster than you know that that relationship should get physical. And it's not your easiest option to stand up right now or maybe there's something going on in your marriage right now and you know you would say it's just the easiest thing would be for your eyes to wander to find that validation that you know that you're supposed to find in your marriage but you're not finding right now and that would be the easiest thing the easiest thing is not to stand right now and what we find here in Daniel chapter 3 is some young men that choose that chose to stand when standing wasn't their easiest option I want to speak a message to you this morning on standing firm 
in the fire. Standing firm in the fire. Here's what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read a lot of this scripture together. It's a, it's a, a lot more than we would normally read. We've got lots of pages to get through, but this is good, good stuff. I almost don't even have to preach this morning. I just read this to you. It's going to touch your life. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, really all these different officials to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I said a lot of stuff there, but I really want you to focus in on a single word, on the image that was set up before them. Now, we live in a different world today, and in North America today, culture is not saying to you that you need to stop worshiping God, and you need to go ahead and worship something else. And so we would say to ourselves, you know, there isn't a king that's saying, if you don't bow down to this, you're going to die. No, culture in North America, it sounds a lot different than what these, were go- these guys were going through. And the image that's being presented for them to bow down to is an image of gold. It's a statue. And so we have a tendency maybe to think to ourselves, man, that's just an ancient story about an ancient statue that's not got a lot of relevance to my life today. But the reality is that culture is still trying to get you to worship an image. Culture still wants you to worship something other than God. And the image might look different, but it is still an image. Culture is not trying to get you to worship some golden statue. Our culture today is trying to get you to bow down before an image, a self-image, a really an an unreachable self-image that is just this idealistic vision of what your life could and should be. Understand, it's still the same way it was here. The story looks different, but the idea of culture wanting you to bow before an image, understand, that's the exact same thing that's going on in our lives today. It's not the image that Daniel and his friends were asked to bow down to. It's the, it's the perfect self-image. Or maybe if for you, you don't want to worship your own perfect self-image. Maybe it's a different place that you would worship the image of what you wish you could be. Culture is still saying you need to worship an image, and it's not God but it's a different image. Reading on, it says, then all of the officials, the satraps, the prefects, all these different officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound, and I love this, I love how they break down the instrumentation. You've got the horn, and the pipe, and the lyre, and the trigon, and the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, of all the believers on planet Earth today, and if you're in the room and you're a Christian, we actually have it pretty easy, right? There are people in the world today that actually have to face, deny God or die. The same as these guys in this story right here. They're they're looking at live cremation as their option if they don't bow down. So everyone around chooses to bow down. And you can imagine, you know, if, like what if this was us, right? Like what would you be thinking? You'd be like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bow down physically, just not in my heart, right? Like I'm just, I'm doing it physically, but Lord, my heart, I'm not bowing down to my heart. Or, you know, you think like, well, I, I got to tie my shoe right now. I got to get my shoe. I got to get that right now. Hang on. Okay. Yeah, we're good. We don't face the same sort of thing that this, this group here face. And what happens? Everyone, every, the music plays and everyone bows down except for Shadrach, 
and Meshach and Abednego. And so what happens is these, these guys see that they don't bow down and they go to the king and they say, King, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, king, remember those guys that you promoted? Hey, remember those Hebrew boys that you saw God's hand on their lives? Well, well, king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods, worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious, and he rages, and he commands that these three guys be brought before him, so they bring him before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, he flies off the handle. He's like, is it true? You don't want to worship the image that I've put in front of you? He's losing his mind. He brings them before him, and listen to what they say to the king. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. Come on, somebody say that with me. Is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will. Come on, somebody say that with me. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now things to note, in spite of all these guys have gone through, marched across two deserts, thousand miles from home. They've just seen their nation lose a war. No doubt they have lost friends and family members in the war. They've had friends and family murdered. And so now they're far from home in a nation that wants God ripped out of their lives. And yet they say to themselves that we believe in God's ability. They have faith in God's power. And I want to preach to you this morning. I want to, I want to say to you that no matter what you have gone through, no matter what desert you've been marched across, no matter what you have seen that made you think that God might not be with you today, that we as a church are called to have faith in the fullness of God's power. Now, we believe that God is able. He spoke the worlds into existence. He carved out the oceans with a simple word from his mouth. He filled them up. Our God is able today. They don't stop, though, at God being able. They, 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 they go on and they say, you know what? He's, we believe he's willing. He will. Man, that's some faith right there. He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. At Resonate Church, we pre- that's, that's the gospel we preach. God's not just able. We preach God's willing. And we stand in a posture of faith. And when we pray, we pray believing that God is willing. Come on, somebody. We actually believe that God demonstrated his willingness to deliver us when he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay a, a substitutionary death for us, really capital punishment, so that the broken relationship between us and God could be restored. God has already demonstrated his willingness. And so when we come in faith and we pray, we don't just pray, God, you know, like sort of maybe you might be into this. No, we say, God, we believe you're able. God, we believe you're willing. I don't care what I've seen in the past. and I, I, My feet are still hot from the desert that I had to march across. And I didn't want to walk across that desert. And I asked you that I wouldn't have to. And I still had to. And so I've gone through some tough times. But I still stand here today. And I believe that God is able and God is willing. Can I get a church in here this morning? Verse 18, but even if, wait a minute, even if? Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. I love that, your majesty. And this, we'll talk more about this next week. Man, when you are standing firm in our culture, when you're standing strong for God in our culture, man, we still hold on to a humble, gracious, and loving attitude. And they are standing up to this guy like no one's ever stood up. And they're still dropping your majesty. Come on, somebody. We talked about this last week. And if you missed it, we talked about having a strong back and a face of grace. And you cannot get caught up in all the messages 
in the series online. But man, this is, this is we're going to talk more about this next week as well. Just, just loving in our culture. That's how we're going to close out next week. It's not really what we're talking about today, but I just want to point it out. Your majesty. Even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Even if, even if. Even if kind of sounds like doubt, right? Even if. And I think we've got this misconception about faith sometimes in the church. Uh, We believe that if we have some certainty about a desired outcome, that's faith and then God is going to just, you know, God's like, he's looking around, he's like, yeah, they're certain about that thing, so I'm not, you know, I better go ahead and, and do that thing. We've got this misconception about faith that if we can have some certainty about some desired outcome that God then just goes ahead and does it. That's not what faith is. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in a sovereign God. Our faith is not in our desired outcome certainty. Our faith is in the sovereign God who made it all and is in charge of it all. And no matter what desert I walked across in the past, I'm still putting my faith in him. And even if he doesn't come through, come on somebody, even if he doesn't save the way that you wanted him to save, even if the diagnosis didn't change, we still believe God is good when things are bad. Even when the bank account is empty, even if the relationship doesn't get healed, even if there's still that brokenness in your world, we say even if God is good in the midst of times being bad, even if. And some of you, you, we carry around you prayed for something, you asked God to do something. Maybe you asked God to heal someone at some point in your life. I know I have. And seen God not come through in the way that I wanted God to come through. And we live with this baggage and we say, you know what, I must just not have enough faith or I didn't pray enough. And you need to be released from that today. Come on, let's break that off your life today. Why? Because if you believe that's true, you'll stop praying. You'll say, I just don't have it. I don't, well, clearly I don't have enough faith. And so I'm going to stop praying. No, that's not how we go about walking through this life. We say, even if God hasn't done what I asked him to do in the past, no, God, I still believe in you. God is able. God is willing. And even if he doesn't, okay, understand, we're still not bowing down. I'm not going to worship the stuff that culture says that I need to worship to get through my tough day. I'm not going to bow down before the image that culture says, hey, this is going to help you out. Maybe, you know, a bit more image for yourself or a bit more things for you. Hey, you know what will get you through this? Why don't you bow down to this image stuff? No, I'm not going to bow down to that. I'm going to bow down to the one who made me and the one who says that he loves me and the one who's brought me in 2018 into a plan for my life that I've not yet even believed is possible. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could even ask or imagine. This is 2018, y'all. Come on, somebody. We're going we're gonna to live this out in the midst of our culture. We're going to love well, and we're going to stand strong. So let's get practical, a little bit practical. How did they have such great faith? How did these guys have such great faith and stand when it made no sense to stand? I want to propose to you that one of the main reasons we see in Scripture that these guys had such great faith is that they had such a great crew. 17 times in Scripture... You see the name Shadrach. And 17 times in scripture, it's followed by Meshach and Abednego. In fact, when the Bible tells you that these guys said something, it's never Shadrach spoke up or Meshach said something or Benny was like, yo, I got to say this to the king. It's always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. It's like these guys were like triplets that said the same thing all the time. It's just like if they had an idea, they all said it together. 
They had a crew. You get married in front of a group of people. Why? Because hopefully you've got some people in your life that will hold you to your commitments. You get baptized in front of people. Why? Because hopefully you've got a church in your life that will stand with you when things get tough. Come on, we do small groups as a church. They are the backbone of this house. Not our Sunday services, our small groups. Why? Because you need a crew. Because when your faith gets down and when you say, no, nah, I'm not going to stop. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. I, I, I'm just leaving it all behind. Man, things have been too tough in my life lately. You need some people that say, oh, come on, come on, you can do a little bit better than that. You have a commitment to not just bow down before what culture said would get you through today, but before the God who made you and he's with you, even though you're in it. Come on, somebody, we need a crew. You're gonna need someone to stand with you and your friends really will have an impact in your faith. I don't believe any of us are strong enough to keep our eyes off the distractions of culture without the right people in our lives. Verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. He's an angry dude. Angry, angry little dude. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of his mighty men to bind them and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. I love this metaphor for life that gets thrown in here. The furnace gets seven times hotter. It's such a great metaphor for all those times when you have faith and things get worse before they get better. Come on, somebody. You've been there, right? They have great faith. They stand before the king, and he's like, yeah, why don't you heat it up? Verse 21, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated. The flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. And I think, you know, I'm, I read this right here. I'm like, God, that is, that is the time for deliverance right there. When the guys who are carrying them into the fire die, I'm like, that, that would seem to me, God, that that would be the point of time at which escape made the most sense. Like these guys, the guys that were carrying them, they just died. Escape time, right? But no, no but they fall in the Bible. So again, it's just like, God, why not now? Why wait? And God, no, yet still God waits. Verse 24, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And he ans they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not heard, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. This is what you would call, this is the, you know, the technical term of it is called a theophany. It's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. What's important about this? What's important about that this is the moment where they received their miracle? The important thing is that they didn't see Jesus until they were in the fire. You know what? If all of our God get me out of this prayers got answered, you wouldn't see Jesus. You know, if, if you weren't sick, you'd never know that you needed a healer. If you weren't stuck in sin, you wouldn't know that you needed a savior. If you weren't down and out, you wouldn't realize that you needed a lifter up of, of your head. If you didn't have some lack or some struggle in your life, you wouldn't know that you need a provider. But that's why in our, they step through this fire, and in the fire they see Jesus. It's in the fire that they see what God has for their lives. And, and that's, as a church, they, they walk through the fire to get to their purpose, and, and that's why that as a church right here, we're not about what we're doing right here. We, I love Sundays. This is my favorite part of the week. I'm, like, even in the midst of not really feeling great this morning, this is, this is the best part of the week. You're like, Shane's not even sick. No, it's because I love church so much. Like, I'm going to, like, go backstage and pass out in a few minutes, and that's going to be great. 
I love church. This is my favorite part of the week. But this is not what we're about. We are about actually seeing you discover the purpose of God that's on your life. Because we've got a call on this house to feed some hungry kids and to rescue some kids from sex slavery and to build homes for the poor. And that's not just the calling of the house. That's the calling that's on your life. And you're going to have to step through some fire to walk into the purpose of God on your life. Man, we believe so much in your purpose. And Troy said it earlier. That's why we do next steps. And we're always saying, give us four weeks of your life so that, that you can actually begin to find out why God made you and the purpose that's on your life so that you can begin to make a difference. Is it because we need you? No, we're doing kind of fine without you, but we would be better with you. We could do more with you. That's why, that's why we say, you know, we're not just about this aspect of life. We're on mission together. We're going to walk through some fire. We're going to walk through it as a crew. We're going to walk through it as a family, and it's in the fire that we are going to see that we've got a Savior. We're going to stand when culture says to bow down. We're going to stand strong in a culture that bows. This morning, I want us to finish this last part of the message, just focusing our eyes and our attention on Jesus. Matthew 10 and verse 32, Jesus is speaking. and He says this. He says, stand up for me against world opinion. And I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. And I stand here before you today saying that I love Jesus. And I believe the Bible. I'm all in for God. Because Jesus stood for me. He took his stand on a cross and he said, I'm, I'm here for shame. I'm going to take a stand for him. Now then, we go from there in the Bible where Jesus takes a stand so that we can be forgiven and we can be freed. And we see from then on in the New Testament this different posture. Colossians 3 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We see this all throughout the New Testament now. This is repeated again and again that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's seated there and he makes intercession for you, that right now before the Father, you've got an advocate who's interceding for you. He's seated at the right hand. He knows what you're going through and he's praying for you, but he's seated. He already stood for you on the cross. And so now the posture repeatedly throughout the New Testament is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But there is one time in the New Testament where Jesus isn't seated. It's in Acts chapter 7. There's this guy named Stephen. He's put his faith in Jesus. As a result of that faith in Jesus, he's standing up in a bow-down culture. And in the culture that he's in the midst of, they decide it's going to cost him his life. And Stephen's about to become the first Christian martyr, and they're going to stone Stephen. And as they're stoning Stephen, Stephen looks up into the sky. And Acts chapter 7 records it for us. It says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Jesus has already done all that he needs to do for our salvation, our freedom, our victory, and our healing. It's why the majority of the time he is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. But there is still a time when the Bible tells us that Jesus stands. The Bible tells us that Jesus stands today when you stand for him. And I don't know if you realize the significance of your life or the significance of the calling on your life or the significance of the fact the Son of God would stand for you when you stand for Him. So we're going to move and do a response time in a moment. The band's going to take us back into worship. But I just want to pray for you, and I believe God's going to speak to your heart about an area of your life where standing might not seem easy, where it might not be your easiest option, but where God has called you to take a stand. Maybe it's an element of your faith that you need to stand in, but maybe you're here today and you're far from God, and today it's a decision to actually stand up for Jesus for the first time in your life. Would you bow your heads with me all over the room? In fact, would you stand right now? Jesus, we thank you that your presence is in this place, God. It's not man's words, it's not a band's great chords, but it's the presence of God. We as a church, God, stand before you because you stood for us. We worship you, Jesus. We elevate you over every circumstance that we are going through. And we say that we will stand for you. We won't bow down. We won't worship the image that culture says we ought to worship. No, we're going to only have one focus and object of our worship, and it's you. So in this place, God, all over this room, we... We stretch out our hands and we say, God, we're, we're, we're standing for you. We're going to love well and we're going to stand firm in the midst of this culture. And we're going to lean into you in 2018. We're going to say courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of doubt. It's standing up and loving well and standing strong in spite of our fear. God, we might not be feeling like we've got all of the courage in the world today. We might not be feeling like we've got all the faith in the world today. But in spite of our doubts and in spite of our fears, we're on our feet saying that we are standing for you, Jesus. God, replace the parts of fear and replace the parts of doubt with faith in who you are. God, I pray for those who need a miracle in the room today, God. Those who are walking through an actual life crisis, that this would be more than an encouraging word, God. That this would be an opportunity where we see miracles, God, descend upon your house, God, as we lean in you and we glorify you, Jesus, in this place. We pray, God, move by your spirit for your great glory in Jesus' name. Thank you.